What's up, everybody? Thanks again for joining me for another edition of March 4th with Mike Bauman. I, of course, am your host, Mike Bauman. Whoever you are, wherever you are listening from, thank you so much for checking out the podcast. If you're a returning listener, I greatly appreciate your continued love and support. And if you're a brand new listener of the show, man, thank you so much for hopping aboard that pirate ship. You can follow me on Instagram at March4thPod. My website is March4th.podbean.com. The link tree with all of my stuff is in the podcast description for this episode. Y'all made it here, so you found me somehow. And I truly appreciate each and every one of you checking out another edition of the March 4th with Mike Baum and Badcast. Oh, deep breaths. I really should breathe more when I do that. I'm always like, is my intro too long, man? I just kind of got into a rhythm over the years and just I just kind of say the same thing now. So it's what I do. Take it or leave it. It's what I do. Uh, I hope everybody's doing well out there, man. It's crazy to think that we're almost halfway through 2023. I swear, the older I get, the faster it goes. It's it's painfully true. But, uh, but I'm doing all right, you know. I'm taking care of myself. Had a nice, uh, nice long weekend going into the release of this episode, man. So it was definitely great to catch up on some much needed rest and relaxation. Got myself a new computer finally. So I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but you guys will be seeing my ugly mug a lot more in the future because I'm going to revamp my YouTube channel and start putting out video content for the podcast as well. Because uh, I feel like that's something that people enjoy too, man. People like seeing video clips of the show and stuff, and uh, so it'll be interesting. I I always try to, you know, I was talking with somebody about this earlier, but that balance between promoting yourself and what do I put out there, and I don't want to like berate people and say, hey, check me out, check me out, you know what I mean? So I try to find that balance, but at the same time, you know, as I've said before, I'm not some famous comedian or movie star that has a or musician you know that has a pre-built audience when they launch their podcast you know I'm just a regular dude out here just a regular guy so uh, there's a certain level of promotion that that comes with and marketing that comes with doing a podcast or being a musician in today's climate but um, but it's been something that I feel like the universe gives you signs too man and there's been a a couple of people over the years who have said, man, you should try like, you know, whether it's TikTok or YouTube, you know, try doing some more video stuff. And the one thing holding me back is that my computer is very old and uh, I know I could go buy a, a webcam and hook it up to it, but the stock camera on my computer, which is from 2010, is very old. So I look super pixelated and I'm like, dude, there's people making really professional content on YouTube. I can't, I can't post a Zoom video of me looking you know, like I'm straight out of a 1993 VHS, man. Um, but my computer has held up really well. It was a graduation, graduation, new word, graduation. Who's graduating this weekend? <laughs> but it was a graduation. There we go, Mike. Uh, present gift, if you will. When I graduated from college back in 2010. And uh, so I think it's got like Windows 7 on it, man. Like Google Drive isn't supported on it anymore. There's uh, Adobe's long since not been supported on it anymore. So I'm pretty limited in what I can do, especially with video content. And it's been going slower over the last couple of years, even though I got a new battery put in it, I think like four years ago. It's just, it's it's had a nice run, man. I've had this thing for almost a decade and a half. So uh, I finally 
you know, decided to get me a new computer and, uh, that'll be faster and I'll be able to do video editing, which I'm really looking forward to just dipping my toes in that, man. Cause I've never really done any of that, but, uh, but it'll be cool, man. So stay tuned. Cause once I have all that set up, I'll give you guys the links to the, the YouTube channel and everything else, man. Oh no. Do I got to sneeze? Maybe, maybe it's brewing and, uh, it's starting to go away. <laughs> By the way, there were people in my life before who used to think that I made it up, but any listeners out there who are light-sensitive sneezers, do you guys look at either a lamp in the room or a chandelier like I have, or you got to look up at the sun? I mean, you don't stare at it because, I mean, you're going to go blind, but you ever, you like that? Because I'm like that, and I heard that there's like a, you know, like not everybody's like that, you know, where you have to look at the light and it helps you sneeze, but uh that one went away. But yeah, I hope everybody's doing well. I, I go on a lot of tangents, folks. But uh, the year's been off to a great start for the podcast. And and again, I, I really appreciate everybody who takes the time to like and subscribe, to leave a rating and a review on either Apple or Spotify, people who take the time to tell a friend to tell a friend. All those things go a really long way in helping the shows get out to more people. And it's been really cool to see the podcast continue to grow. So when I say thank you, I genuinely mean it. I also want to let everybody know that my entire back catalog is is out now, at least through like 2014. So all the old March 4th episodes going all the way back to episode one from 2019 are out there. And uh, you can check them out. That was just like a recent discovery I made where I was like, man, I wish I could get more than just the most recent 20 episodes. And all I had to do is check my feed and change the episode number. So I think it goes all the way up to 300 on Apple before it limits it. So, so yeah, if you want to check out past episodes, you can go all the way back to episode number one. And you can even check out stuff from uh, when it was Bomb's Breakdown back in the day before it was March 4th. So if you uh, want to check out the back catalog, it is out there. But uh, to everybody who takes the time to support the show in any way, man, I, I really appreciate y'all. This has been a lot of fun, and we're just getting it started. And I'm really excited between the new computer and the new content and just the direction that I'm headed in in life, man, compared to the last couple of years. I feel like I'm coming out of a cave in a lot of ways, man. And uh, I can't you know, thank the people who support me enough and y'all know who you are and to all the people I don't know listening around the world once again thank you so much I really appreciate you guys this week's episode I don't want to rant too much longer because we had a great conversation but we're actually switching it up this week on March 4th man it's not a musical guest this week even though he and I have a shared love for the heavy metal Um, but this week's guest is a guy who I have a lot of respect for, man. I don't think I would be doing this right now if it weren't for this dude. He is none other than Mick Gonzalez of Toledo Sports Network, uh, formerly of the Toledo Cherokee. He was the longtime voice, play-by-play voice for the Toledo Cherokee, and they are a junior league hockey team in my hometown of Toledo, Ohio. And this year is actually the 25-year anniversary of that the Toledo Cherokee were the Junior B National Champions, man. And Mick, who you guys will hear in this conversation, was their announcer at that time. He was uh, early on in his broadcasting career and got to cover a national championship team and had a really, really long run with the Toledo Cherokee. A couple years ago, I had him on the podcast when he was honored by the team. He has since had the 
press box named after him. And uh, there's another cool piece to that story with this 25-year anniversary uh, of this championship team that you guys will hear on the episode. I don't want to give it away, but it's a really cool thing and, and how he was recognized. But um, but Mick's a great guy, man. Um, like I said, in addition to being the voice for the Toledo Cherokee for a really long time um, during like the pandemic, right around the pandemic time, he also started the, the Cherokee Rewind podcast where he had all sorts of people involved with the organization over the years on the show. And that was a really cool retrospective uh, you know, in a trip down memory lane for a lot of people involved with the Toledo Cherokee. And for those of you who are hockey fans out there, you guys know what juniors are. But for those of you who aren't aware, this is a really informal podcast, too, to talk about that, what what the junior level league is like um, and how competitive, competitive it is. And, you know, guys who are really talented, who are, you know, trying to get to that next level. And uh, as you'll hear in this conversation, it was quite the run, man. And, and Mick was... I think when we talked, he was said he was in like his early 30s or mid 30s, right around my age when when all this was popping off 25 years ago. And it had been a minute since Mick and I had caught up and he's he's battled some health issues over the past few years. And he's he's tough and he and he's hanging in there. And uh, yeah, man, I, I wanted to get him on here with it being the 25 year anniversary of that junior B national championship team for the Toledo Cherokee to, to kind of talk about what that was like for Mick as a young broadcaster, you know, really getting his feet wet in his career, uh, being behind the microphone. And, uh, it was really the beginnings of a, of a long tenure with the Toledo Cherokee. And, and as I mentioned, they have honored him since, and, uh, he's, he's part of the Toledo Cherokee family. And this is just a great conversation to me, not only of a, of a cool trip down memory lane, but really a great example for everybody listening and just about perseverance and moving forward. You know, um, Mick and I met, gosh, almost 13 years ago when I graduated from college and he was the guy that was the first person to, to open the door into me getting into broadcasting and that led to this podcast. And so when I say I truly don't know that I would be doing this if it weren't for him, I, I absolutely mean it. So I don't want to rant too much longer because we had a great conversation about that championship team and, uh, you know, the Toledo Cherokee in general. And, and Mick is a great dude and can gab with the best of them. So without further ado, I'm going to shut my big yapper and give you guys my conversation with my friend and former colleague, Mick Gonzalez. Here it is. <laughs> Well, there we go. Well, Mick, it's always good to chat with you, man. We go way back. It's crazy to think that I'm I'm 35 now, and I first met you when I was 22 years old and very green in broadcasting. But it's the 25 year anniversary of the Toledo Cherokees national championship, and uh, I thought it'd be cool to get the uh, the voice of the Cherokee back on, brother. So thank you for joining, man. Oh, well, hey, the pleasure is all mine. I always told you I consider this an honor because. This is a great podcast, and I'm really grateful that, uh, you know, you're still paying it forward. And it's always fun to talk to you. And it's nice because we don't just talk about one subject. We've uh, This is, I think, the third one. And we've covered about everything there is to cover in a variety of uh, topics. So and tonight's going to be no, no different. We're going to go down memory lane a little bit. We're going to have some fun with it, though. Yeah, yeah. The last couple of times, uh, the... I think it was, well, it's been, it's been a little over three years now since the, 
the apocalypse, man, with the pandemic. Uh, yeah. When I got when I got this bad boy going again, and I got you on because you got the SAP award, which was awesome, and they also named the press box for the Toledo Cherokee after you, which is an incredible honor. And then I had you on to talk a little little metal because you and I are both metalheads, even though we come from from different eras of metal. We we have an appreciation for the the heavy and the loud. So. Uh, and, and this one I just thought was fitting because uh, actually, believe it or not, 98, it's going to sound kind of weird, but um, 98 was actually a good year for me too, personally. I was in fourth grade. Um, that was the year that I started playing organized basketball. I was a huge Bulls fan, like everybody and their brother growing up because I loved Michael Jordan. I was super into sneakers, which I still am now. That's still my attachment to my childhood. <laughs> Um, but also I was a, you know, big Red Wings fan and I still am a big Red Wings fan. I, I pay closer attention to my beloved Detroit Pistons. And I know being a Pistons and a Bulls fan usually don't go hand in hand, but I was a Michael Jordan fan growing up. And then I saw my first Pistons game when I was in seventh grade and I was hooked and I've been a diehard Pistons fan for the last gosh, 22 years now I digress. But, uh, but yeah, 97, 98 was a really good year for sports, man. Um, we had hey, the, the Red Wings <laughs> winning the cup. Yeah, yeah, we had uh, the Red Wings going back to back, and that was uh, the VKSM patches that they were wearing on the jerseys for Vladimir Konstantinov and Sergei. I think it's Matsukhanov. They they Matsukhanov. Yep, Matsukhanov. That's right. They were injured in in that horrible accident not long after they won the cup in '97, and the Wings uh, took care of business and took took down the the Capitals. Olaf Kolzig, I remember, was the goalie, um, and that was the year that uh, Chris Osgood, Ozzy, was in, was in net because Mike Vernon had left, I believe, and went to yeah. San Jose. Was it the Sharks he went to? Yep, in- mm-hmm. it sure did. But yeah, it was a great year for sports, man. The Wings went back to back. The Bulls had a great series against the Jazz, and I, I remember watching Michael Jordan hit that shot live, the little the little push on Russell, uh, or if you're a Bulls fan, it wasn't a push. Um, and then there was the, <laughs> I believe was also that summer of 98, which, uh, unfortunately now I think we, we, it's a little tainted looking back on. Cause I, I think there was probably some, some substance stuff going on, right. Uh, you know, in baseball, but nonetheless, it was very exciting. And we actually had a really good little league team at Hiawatha. I was terrible. They just stuck me out in left field, man. Um, and I, and when we won, we got free ice cream. So that's pretty much why I played baseball. So I could hang out with my buddies all summer and get ice cream. ice cream yeah but then our priorities man exactly i still love ice cream um but it, on top of all of that locally the toledo cherokee the junior hockey team in toledo ohio which is still there to this day they won the national championship it was the junior a national championship if i'm not mistaken and you well at back the then time, it was called junior b or was it, was it junior b okay yeah, yeah. Because okay, now it's tier three junior A, but now, but back then it was considered junior B. Although the only reason it was considered junior B was because at the junior A level, the North American Hockey League only had eight teams. So it's not like now where there's like half a million. So yeah. uh, they've got, uh, you know, back then you had a number of junior B loops and they had junior A players that were playing junior B because there was just no spots available at the at the NAHL level. Okay. 
Dang, I was hoping I would get that right. I did my homework a little bit before this too. And I'm like, is it junior A or junior B? And I I tossed the coin, man. But no, uh, so that was your, to bring people up to speed, because I ranted a ton there, just reminiscing about 1998. But to bring people up to speed, you were the longtime voice for the Toledo Cherokee uh, doing play-by-play. And I believe that was, if my research serves, serves me right, that was, was it your second year with the team? 97, yeah. 98? Yeah. Second year. And, and, and I do want to talk about the first year because it sets up for that second year and the run that they had. I mean, yeah. it was, we had an incredible run, but uh, it, it, like I said, we'll get into that here in just a minute, but yeah, I, uh, I started in the year before and I, what it was, was that I was at work at my day job and I was at my day job and a gentleman by the name of Rich Osterhout, he was a, I think he was like VP and in charge of uh, housing for the players uh, for billeting him and his wife. And uh, they are both wonderful people to this day. I still, every once in a blue moon, I'll still come across them out, out and about. And uh, I just love them. They're, they're great. Um, Cindy and, and Rich Osterhout. Anyhow, uh, they, Rich, I ran into him at my day job where he was working. And I asked him, I go, so you got big plans for the weekend? He just said, uh, well, the Cherokee have a, uh, have a home game. And I said, who? And he said, the Cherokee, the hockey team. I go, I didn't know that anything about them. So he's like, well, they're in the, he goes, they play. And he explained the whole thing to me that they play in the central States hockey league, et cetera. And that they had uh, their, you know, it's a travel team. It's an amateur team, but they still are like pro players in that they get traded, they get cut. Uh, they, they travel, they play all over the place, you know, in this league, in the loop. At, at the different, uh, I mean, there was back then St. Louis was in the loop. Uh, a couple of teams in the Detroit area. Um, can't remember who else, but anyway, uh, back then, but uh, there was like about, I think six, six or, or seven teams in the loop. And so I was like, you know, is it like good hockey? I mean, is it good? Like 16, you said 16 through 20 year olds play this. And he said, well, yeah, he goes, it's much, I go, is it like high school? He goes, oh my gosh, no. He goes, it's infinitely better. And I was like, cause you know, hockey in the, in the Northwest Ohio area at that time is not like it is now. Now it has improved tremendously, but back then uh, the kids that played high school, it was basically because they weren't good enough to play, you know, uh, midget or juniors. And so they would play high, they played high school that, and, and the upside to that, for the kids that played high school was because they played in front of all their friends. They would get like for a high school game, because hockey's a big deal in, in, in the Northwest Ohio area. Well, they would go to Tam O'Shanter in Sylvania and you had several different schools that would pack over a thousand fans in the stands every night. And at the junior level or the, or the midget level for travel, you got maybe 50 to 75 people. And it was mostly families. So, you know, and the occasional scout and that was it. So you didn't, you know, they didn't, uh, they didn't draw real well, but most, most, unless you're the only game in town, of course, we, back then we had the storm. And then of course, uh, later on, we, you know, we have the walleye and which is what we have now playing in the ECHL, the pro uh, minor league pro. And so juniors gets kind of, uh, it gets kind of where people are like, oh, well, that's nice. And they don't realize 
that these 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 men these young men they they put it out on the all out on the line also they work their butts off they try to you know get to that next level just like the guys that play minor pro do well anyway i went out there and i'll never forget this the first time i walked into the tamla shanner rink and there it was during warm-ups like like 20 minutes before the puck dropped and during warm-ups i hear jock james and it's like that was like when it first came out you know it just got play uh, airplay and so it was like a big hit and I, i heard it and i saw the players i was right up on the glass and i saw these players and i'm like these guys don't look like kids little kids or you know teen kids they look like men and they were, I mean, there were some guys in there, they were like six, two, six, three and stuff. And there were a couple smaller guys, but I mean, they looked like gro- fully grown men. And it, I mean, they looked like a, like a, like a minor league pro team. And these kids were really good. They were exceptional. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I mean, I fell in love on the spot. I'm like, I'll never miss a game. You know, that's immediately in my head. I'm thinking, I'm not, I'm not, I'm coming to this. So I go up in the stands and I'm watching and I listen to uh, the owner of the team. He's got a little wireless mic with him and he's doing this for the purpose of recording the, the video uh, so that they have, if anything happens, you know, like a, a fight or, uh, you know, some, some, uh, uh, something out of the ordinary happens. They've got documentation. Well, he was doing the play by play for it because they would take clips and stuff and send it to scouts. And I figured it would be good to have some play-by-play audio on it. Well, the problem for him was, is the late, great Miss, uh, Dr. Rob McCarthy. God rest his soul. That man was, is just so wonderful. And anyhow, he was doing the play-by-play. But the problem was, was that he, the fan in him kept coming out. He would do the play-by-play. You know, if somebody goes into the corner boards or something, he would chirp and yell and say things that I can't repeat about the referee missing a call <laughs> and he would just sit there and he kept chirping and, and he so he's like well we and so rich osterhout was telling me we got to find a play-by-play guy and i was like uh hello <laughs> so i said i'm willing to do it so they talked to me uh <clears throat> dr mccarthy and the other owner of the team uh chris reniger she was instrumental really instrumental in in giving me the opportunity and uh so she said yes so uh doc mccarthy said yes and uh and rich was like yeah you know he he said i was a good guy and everything so anyway long story short i started i took over doing the play-by-play and it was uh i had uh chris's husband john with the video camera and i was hooked up to it so i did that and then uh it was so exciting because it was like they were killing it on, on the uh, on the ice. They were just killing it. And that 96, 97 year was my first year. And so I was just learning about all these kids. I knew nothing about them, knew nothing about the coaches. Uh, Scott Searing, uh, Todd Omi, and the late, great Bob Zion. Uh, they were all, you know, like, they were all like uh, idols to me. I just looked, I was like, Oh my gosh, they were heroes. They just, I just thought they were the greatest because they're coaching a team. And I, I, I didn't, I was never this up close and personal with a hockey team before. And hockey was always my biggest passion back then. Well, 
I started doing the games and the store, I heard some of the stories of some of the rivalries and stuff. And of course, St. Louis was a huge, huge, huge rival. I can't stress it enough. And another one was with a team that uh, is no longer, but uh, the Motor City Chiefs. And I bring them up because we were uh, that year, that first year I was there, the national championships were being held in, in Sylvania that year, in, outside, right outside of Toledo at the Tam O'Shanner Ice Arena. And they have a couple sheets of ice and stuff. And they uh, decided to have nationals there. And I was, so the problem was for Toledo was they were, they didn't win the automatic bid when you get, when you finish in first place in the regular season, like they did, that was the thing back then. If you finished in first, you got an automatic bid. And then there was an at-large bid, which was in the playoffs. If you won the playoffs, well, Toledo had to get by Motor City, and they were, I think, in the uh, third period, they were tied. And it was really scary. It was really touch and go there. And if they would have tied, and back then they didn't have shootouts. So if they tied, Toledo wouldn't have been able to go to the playoffs, to the the Nationals. Uh, So they had to win. So they, there's a, a great story in there. In that game, with the third, third period, there's probably about like, I think like eight minutes to go. And one of the defensemen, Rob Kroll, uh, I, 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 it's still one of the funniest moments ever. He pulls a slap shot. And by that, I mean the Hanson brothers, where he goes, all, a lot of the Motor City players, their heads were hanging, standing up and hanging over their bench. And it, and they, like I said, the, the rivalry with Motor City was intense. It was always very physical, lots of scraps, lots of after the whistle, you know, activity, we'll call it. Uh, just a lot of nastiness, a lot of bad blood there. Well, Rob decides to take things into his own hands a little bit. And he skates by their bench with this hockey stick and clips everybody along the bench as he skates and takes them all out. (laughs) The only thing that saved him from getting thrown out and not, uh, he didn't get suspended for the playoffs for nationals was the referee didn't see it. It was behind the play. So the referee didn't see it, and the linesman caught it out of the corner of his eye, said something to the referee, and the referee's like, well, I didn't see it. So he gave he gave Crowley, I think, I think he gave him a, a double minor. Uh, or he uh, and anyway, he he didn't get thrown, uh, he didn't get suspended. Uh, I think he he may have got, I don't know if he got thrown out of the game or not. I don't remember. But he got he didn't end up getting suspended. And I, I mean like I said, it's, it was stuff like that. That what, that was my introduction to what it was like to be up at close and personal with, with hockey. And so that first year, it was exciting going to nationals because it was that I didn't have to travel. It was at home. And it was like super exciting because all these players coming in from different parts of the country. I mean, there was a team from New Mexico, a, t- a couple teams from California, uh, you know, a team, a couple teams from New England, 
you know, just in, uh, you know, it was just hockey was just starting to uh, take off as far as young kids playing at this level. You know, there, there, there wasn't, it isn't like it is now where there's a ton all over the place and stuff, but you have different, uh, you had different loops, but they were small. Anyway, so we get to national champ. We won, get to the nationals championship game. And I, you know, I talked about Rob Kroll and he factors in the national championship game because the final score was two to one playing. I believe it was the uh, Minnesota Lakers. They were out of Minnesota, the Minnesota Lakers. And, um, they won the national championship, but Rob Kroll scored the winning goal. He redirected. They took a shot. One of their guys took a shot. He tried to like whack at it wide, ended up tipping it, went off his stick into his own net. Um, Yeah. So I've talked to him since then and he swears it didn't, but video evidence and everybody that was there swears it did. So I have to go with that and what I saw and it looked like it went off. So anyway, we always kid him about scoring the the winning goal in the national championship game in 97. So uh, it sets up, you know, cause you know, usually, you know, and like back then and even to this day, you know, kids will, if I can play at the next level up great. Otherwise, you know, a lot of them will move on, not all, but a lot of them will move on. You know, because uh, you, you only can play four years at the at the junior level. And so a lot of them will move on. Well, the guys then, like I said, there, there weren't as many anywhere near as many teams at the next level. There was only eight teams at the North American League level. And the USHL, which was above that, is like uh, NHL draft picks. And that that ain't that wasn't like an option. So usually what would happen is a lot of these kids with, they're like, you know what? I did all I can at this level. I'm going to move on in my career and leave and go to school. You know, if they can get somewhere where they can uh, play hockey, you know, like at the, at the club level, which is uh, kind of like a, a, a big time intramural version of college hockey. So anyhow, uh, they call it club hockey. Well, he, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, it looked like they were probably going to go. A couple of them aged out. They reached their limit, and so they couldn't play anymore, and that was really heartbreaking, uh, including Chris Reniger, the owner's son, Jason, who played on that team. He aged out. So, and that was really, you know, I was really bummed out for him. Anyway, so, but the captain, uh, Hank Avink, he talked to some of the guys who had been there for two or three years and in the locker room after that, he goes, I don't care if they got that gold medal. He said, we're the best team in the country and I want us to come back and prove it. So that's, he said, I'm coming back. Who's with me. And Hank's like a, 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 a millionaire real estate guy now, but he is, he said that was the best thing he ever did was he said, uh, you know, he said, I could have rested on my laurels, but he said something drove me to say that we, we're the best team in this country 
and blankety blank blank we're going to prove it so a bunch of a bunch of the players that had an extra year of eligibility remaining said well if you come back i'll come back okay i'll come back well like i'd say probably 55 percent of the team came back 60 percent of the team came back and uh, so they decided to, they made a pact that they were going to do that because they wanted to win this thing. Well, the next season, which is the season we're talking about, that that year's nationals was going to be held, in, and it was held, in Simi Valley, California. And I've got stories about that. I don't know if we can fit that all into an hour, but we'll try. So anyway, but that's that's where we're, that I say all of that stuff to set up so that you understand why 98 was so special. And the year before. Yeah. The year before set everything that, that set the table for 98, that it was so clutch. And so it meant so much uh, for us to, it, it lit the fire to go for it in 98. And in 98, we had a few new guys who were incredible. Uh, I mean, Justin Benjamin. Oh, my gosh. That guy was a beast. And uh, his, he was from Pittsburgh. And his grandfather would come from Pittsburgh every home game. Didn't matter. Came every home game. And you got to remember, too, at this level, at the junior B level, when you get, uh, you know, you sign your contract to play, you don't get paid. You're, it's an amateur thing. And in fact, you pay to play. It's a tuition-based uh, level throughout the country, no matter what say, loop you're in. So for people who, who aren't aware, like you said, it's, it's what, 16 to 20. So you could have some guys who are um, going there, and then they got to find a high school. You have some guys who may be in their first couple of years of college, and mm-hmm. you have guys. I mean, you could have guys from Canada and stuff too, right? I mean, in this league, like you. Yeah, you I, you were allowed two internationals. Okay. So how do you know, Mick? I mean, just since we're on that, do you know how, you know, these guys, what, they have host families? How how does that work? And then do they go to the school of the district of the host family? Like how, how do, I mean, there's, there's, sounds like there'd be a lot of logistics involved in that. Cause, cause again, I don't think, and that's part of the reason why I wanted to do this too. I don't think too many people, unless they're real hockey nuts, you know what I mean? Understand really, like you said, all that's involved in this, you know, I think a lot of people look at it like, okay, there's high school hockey and then there's college hockey and then there's, you know, semi-pro and then pro hockey. And that, and I don't think they realize that the, the junior level is where it's a huge development level with a lot of skilled players who are trying to get to that, to that next level, whether it's college or semi-pro, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you just nailed all of that stuff you just said. Absolutely true. It's, uh, it, it's difficult because if you get a 16 year old or 17 year high school kid, because of where the proximity of the Cherokee, they were right on the line with uh, Michigan. The rules, the rules in Ohio were, are different than the rules for Michigan. Mm, okay. The rules in Ohio, if you had a 16 or 17 year high school kid that was a minor, if they were going to come stay at your house or stay with a, a billet family and go to high school in Ohio, the fam the the billet family had to legally adopt them for the season. Wow. 
Yeah, and that's a lot. That's a whole lot of paperwork that I, I don't have the time to go into here because it's that complicated. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. Michigan doesn't have that law, so we would whenever we get high school kids, we would billet them, have them be put up with uh, Michigan families, so they could go to school like at Bedford or or Whiteford or Monroe, and uh, be you know they'd be all right you know. Now, if they're 18 years old, that's different. They're legal adults. So they can, uh, they can uh, you know, stay in Ohio, fill it in Ohio. And the rule for the Cherokee was very simple. If you weren't going to school, meaning high school or college, if you were a 19-year-old a or a 20-year-old and you graduated high school already, you either had to be enrolled part-time in school at UT or wherever, Owens or Monroe Community, wherever, or you had to have a job. You weren't just going to sit and freeload from your billet family all day. <laughs> so that was that was the rule. And uh, so, you know, a lot of these kids, you know, and, and like I said, it's tuition based. So a lot of the, especially the older kids, uh, they would get a part-time job so they could help with their tuition, you know. So, and it was, like I said, it, it made for, it made for interesting, you know, picks, you know, who we would bring in, what would work best for this guy, if he will fit in well here, if we can put him in Michigan or Ohio. I mean, you had all kinds of like crazy stuff like that, that you dealt with. Yeah. And I was just going to say, I mean, to me, that's a testament to how much these, these dudes really love the game, you know, to be going, you know, in some cases, a different country, halfway across the country, you know, um, like I was even looking at the current roster. I mean, there's guys from Michigan and stuff. Um, and shout out to the to the current team, uh, quick aside, because they were the uh, Great Lakes Division champions this year, right? And, and I think they're yes. only, what, like one or two games away from, from the championship game this year too, right? I think, did they lose to the team that ended up winning the whole thing this year? Yeah, they, yeah, they, they uh, made it to the – they were – I think they made it to the quarterfinals. I think that was as far as they got, but still they put up, they put up some great numbers and everything and their current coach, Kenny Miller, uh, just a fantastic job. That's all I can say. Just a fantastic job. And so now going back to, like I said, setting the table for 98. So I walk in there and I see a few familiar faces and a few new faces. Now, the thing was, is back then, I didn't know any of these guys personally. So I didn't get to spend time with them. I didn't travel. I just did the home games. So I didn't travel with them. Uh, a couple times I went on the road, but I, I drove myself. I didn't ride the bus or anything like that. So uh, I didn't get to know these guys, you know, real well personally or anything like that during this time. But uh the, the lunacy that that uh, goes with it, uh, it, it's some of the stories there I can't repeat, but there are some stories that are legendary. And, of course, uh, one of them – go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say pre-cell phones. <laughs> yes, thank God. And pre, uh, I mean, the year – that year, the Internet was just – people were just beginning to notice the Internet. And, and, you know, most teams didn't use it yet as a, as a broadcast tool. Uh, it just wasn't. And all that was available back then was dial-up. 
So, and we didn't even have it in the, in the rink or anything in any of the rinks in Toledo yet. So anyhow, uh, I did a couple of games. I did some games on the radio uh, on my own dime. I bought the airtime and put uh, hooked up uh, the, the equipment from the radio station into the phone line at the, at the rinks and did the game that way. Well, uh, it was a lot of fun back then because you, the things that I remember best are stuff that had nothing to do with the games. Like me being going the, uh, you know, the first time I went on the road, I started doing road games was for the, with the dial up internet. I had to use Chris Renegar's AOL account dial up to get online. And it sounded like an AM transistor radio, but we got over. And then on, when I would go on the road, I would go to place different places. I can remember I went to one rink. Uh, oh my gosh, it was horrible. I had to do play by play from a picnic table rinkside. Uh, they had the, they had in the corner across from the knee on the other side of the ice uh, off the, off the edge there, they had some uh, clotheslines and they tied them. And they put a couple of sheets over him, hung a couple sheets on him. That was the locker room for the visiting team. Uh, just, yeah, you. This is this kind of stuff you, you know people don't know about. But I mean, I, I and I did, and I would, I did it from the picnic table. I did. Um, oh gosh, I'm trying to think of some of the wackier places I've done it. I mean, I, like I said, it's just all nuts. But uh, getting back to '98 real quick. Um, we, you know, the, like I said, the team had some new players and I mentioned a couple of them, Justin Benjamin, Neil Price, they're both from Pennsylvania and they knew, they knew of each other. And one of, I think it was Justin told me that he was just going to come try out, see what it was like and probably not stay because it was a long way from home. Well, he was coming near the rink he was uh driving up and he came to a stoplight and he looked over and the car next to his was neil who he knew from pittsburgh they're both from the pittsburgh area and they uh he looked at it and they went, oh so they both discovered that they were both coming to toledo to try out and play and they made the team so they decided to stay he decided to stay and they were line mates and oh my goodness, uh, just uh, incredible, incredible players. Well, the bet, the one of the uh, better stories uh, of all that year was we got a first year kid who came literally, he came from Transylvania. So he heard about the Cherokee. He wanted to come play juniors in the States. Didn't know, he just looked up on a, uh, he looked up on a website or something. And he heard about Toledo. And this kid had like literally nothing. He had, I think, 300 bucks to his name when he came over here and the clothes on his back and his hockey bag. He uh, had to get some more equipment for his hockey bag, uh, for his hockey equipment, so that he, it would be a little more, you know, up to snuff. And so he, I think he, uh, he ended up getting the stuff. Well, that meant he literally had no money. 
know, like 20 bucks or something left. And he was trying out and he figured if he could make it, he'd stay. And I think he was going to stay no matter what. But anyway, this kid was amazing. His name's Ferent Satlos. And he played four years for Toledo because he fell in love with the place. The thing was, is again, this is tuition based. So he had no money, couldn't afford to get a work visa, uh, tried to do what he could uh, just to, uh, you know, go to school or whatever, just so that he could play. And so usually you get a billet family and, uh, you know, and they'll sit, and especially for a young kid, he was 16 at the time. They would, um, they would stick him in Michigan. Well, there was nobody really for him. And again, you know, they, he would need to be legally adopted if they were going to uh, have him come in, come here and play. Well, Chris and John Renniger like fell in love with this guy because he was such, he didn't speak much English, very little English, if any. And they fell in love with him and said, you know what? You're going to, you can stay with us. And so, you know, it gave, uh, um, it gave him a chance to uh, come and come and play. And so they did. And it was, this kid lit it up. He was fantastic. Probably one of not, not, if not the best player, one of the best players on the team. And that's no, slight of the other guys that played because we had some incredible playmakers that year well the fun part about Ference was again his lack of the english language so of course some of the uh leaders some of the veterans on the team they lived back then they they experimented that year with having the guys that were like 19 and 20 years old instead of being billeted they uh, got, they rented an apartment for them. <laughs> Bad idea. I mean, great for the kids if you want to party and everything else. And they did, believe me. Um, but. Yeah, and hockey they, players listening are known to throw down. I, I don't know if that's, you know, letting the cat out the bag a little bit for, but for those of you who don't know, I, I would say that among the major sports in terms of people who can hang um, and again, to each their own, I'm certainly not advising that people, you know, rage or anything, no. but I'm saying if you're of legal age, um, just know that hockey players, uh, are, are known, correct me if I'm wrong, Mick, they're, they're known to have a good time. They, they, and uh, I, I would say hang with the best of them. That's like, that's like saying, uh, I like to breathe. Okay. <laughs> that's pretty simple, but, uh, yeah, they, they, oof. Like I said, and that, that that's not just at the junior level. That's at all levels, you know, even at the ice cream level with the little guys. But uh, anyway, getting back to this, they had, uh, I think, six guys that shared the apartment uh, and the veterans. And that was uh, Hank Avink, John, or uh, Mike Kellemeyer, Gary Thomas. Uh, oh, gosh, I, I know that I can see the faces. I just can't remember the names sometimes. Anyway, um, there was there was three more. Anyway, long story short, uh, uh, Nick Diachin was another one. Oh gosh, who are the other two? Anyway, uh, so, they, so nineteen, twenty, or eighteen to twenty. 
They were anybody, yeah, anybody that was out of high school. Okay. So, um, and you know, and it was, I think it was, they, they were all 20 year olds. So okay. they were all aging out. It was their last year. So anyhow, they uh, were all, you know, gee, let's see, six guys, 20 year olds on their own. What, what, what are the odds? So, uh, but uh, anyhow, long story short, you know, they did all that stuff back then, and we, we know how that is. But uh, I'll, 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 I'll keep it nice and go about with Ference. Of course, during games, they would try to teach him English, which we all know, not a good time to teach him English. <laughs> because they would say, they would always teach him things like, uh, like they, they, they would say, you know, hey, Ference go up to this guy and it would usually be like the tough guy for uh, the other team, like the goon. And they'd say, um, man, go up to him. And you, you can say, and yell and just say it to him. Hey, buckets off mother. Yeah. And MF her. And I just, I mean, it's like, Ferris had no idea what he was saying. Right. Right. No idea whatsoever. And he would say that. And, uh, and of course the guy on the other team is like, Let's go, you know, and ju- try to jump him and hit him and swing at him. But Ferentz, to his credit, he could, he wasn't a, he wasn't a, a enforcer, but he could handle himself. He could hang, you know, he, yeah, he was tough. He could handle himself. I mean, with everything he went through to get from Europe all the way over here, basically with no money, um, but, you know, you got to be tough. So, Pennsylvania, I said, coming yeah. all the way to Pennsylvania with, with, with barely anything. Uh, to play, to play hockey, like you got to have a real love for the game to go halfway across the world to a place where you don't even really speak the language at all. You know what I mean? You're, you're, you're not somebody who's going to probably, uh, you know, be afraid of, of a scuffle or two. Yep. This is true. And the fact that he didn't know anybody. So, but um, it was fun. You know, like I said, they would have fun with him like that. And uh, they would teach him all the wrong words, of course. And, I mean, they, th- there were a couple of guys that were like mercifully helpful to him. You know, I can remember Scotty Williamson. Uh, he was a defenseman and uh, him and uh, he would be one of the guys that would also be really, you know, he tried to be nice and everything. And of course he's now a Toledo police officer. Uh, but uh, you know, and that's the cool thing, you know, even though you played juniors, just because you didn't make it to the NHL doesn't mean you don't make it. You make it as a pro in something else. Like the old commercial says for NCAA, you can go pro in something other than sports. And a lot of these kids do. And, you know, they do wonderful things. Well, anyhow, so, you know, it was just a wonderful year. We just kept winning and winning. Had a lot of ties, too. I think we had like 10 ties. But we were like one of the top teams in the country. And people knew about us. You know, they, uh, you know, we were tearing it up. We were blowing teams out left and right. You know, we blew out, I, I mean, just everybody. St. Louis wasn't a powerhouse yet. They were, they took their lumps back then, but then they went on to become an app, a big time powerhouse. And I'll get to that in a minute. But so Toledo, again, had, we had so much fun trying to uh, get, uh, get back to nationals and 
it was in, I believe, I want to say we played St. Louis, I think in the, in the playoffs for the right to go to win the, to win the, uh, the, the league championship and in the playoffs and went to, I think it went to overtime and everyone was on, you know, uh, on, on, on just graded knuckles. They were just, it was so nerve wracking. Well, Toledo pulls it out. They win. So everything's set. So I wasn't like officially part of the team to them yet. They weren't going to send, they weren't going to pick up my dime to fly me out to Simi Valley, California. So I said, I'm going to take a chance. So I booked a flight because an old buddy from high school lived out there about an hour away from, from Simi Valley. So he said, Hey, yeah, just come stay with me. So I said, okay, well, he, uh, so I, I book a flight and I walk over to the radio station and I said, I want to book, I want to, uh, broker the national championship game for junior B USA hockey. And so we agreed on a price. I paid it and I had no idea whether or not Toledo would be in it or not, but by gosh, I was going to broadcast it back to Toledo no matter who was playing. And I didn't really, the prospect of, you know, Fairbanks versus Suffolk was not an, an, an exciting thing for me to think about if that was the case. So, but I said, well, we're going to go. So I take, I, I flew separately. I didn't fly with the team and my plane, we ran into some of the most wicked turbulence I've ever been on a plane for. And, and like you're saying the nose dropping. I mean, but the, the, there was this Hindu lady I was sitting next to on the plane and she looked at me, she said, you know, you would make a good preacher. <laughs> That's how scared I was. I mean, the nose of the plane was, you could hear the gears straining to get the nose up. Oh, I mean, man. it yeah, was, people crazy. were freaking out. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. I get there, I get there and I'm not kidding. I got down on my knees and kissed the ground when I got there into yeah. LA and so I, uh, I go over and I stay with my buddy. And so he gives me, shows me where, how to get to the rink. And it's about an hour drive each way. So I was like, okay, cool. So I told him, why don't you just come with me, you know, just hang out. And I was like, he hadn't met his wife yet. So he could come and go if he wanted. And so uh, uh, he's like, yeah, maybe here and there. So he came to a couple games and we were winning and we had a couple games where we blew teams out. It wasn't a big deal, but then we run into the Fairbanks ice dogs and they were a little side note when they always had a welcoming dinner for all the teams. And that year they had it at the Ronald Reagan library. Well, Toledo got in late because their flight was delayed or something and they got in late. So they had a couple speakers up there talking about, you know, welcome USA hockey, blah, blah, blah. And they're talking about, yeah, they were talking, trying to say stuff about different teams. And they're like, yeah, we hear that the, you know, Fairbanks ice dogs are really going to be good this year. And Suffolk silver shields are going to be pretty decent. And uh, how about, you know, I think uh, New Mexico or whoever and, uh, and the Ventura Mariners and whatever. Anyway, then they talk about, yeah, we hear that, you know, Toledo, man, I don't know. I hear they're kind of overrated. I mean, they disrespected the team. They didn't say they weren't complimentary at all. Yeah. And 
we walked, the team walked in just after, just after the, uh, all that was done and said. So when we, when word got around about what was being said, that really put a chip on everyone's shoulder. Everyone was PO'd. And so, you know, Toledo played and they would never, even if they fell behind, they would never get worried or rankled or upset or worried. They just, they like, we can do this. We can do this. And they did. Well, play Fairbanks. And it's like, oh my, and Fairbanks was like the team. Everyone was like, oh my gosh. They were like the number one seed. They were, everything about them was, oh my gosh, these guys are like, you know, because the following season they moved their they moved their team up to the North American League. They they left the CSA or the the loop they were in the Western States League or whatever it was and went to the North American League because they wanted the hockey was so much better. They said, and well, of course it is if you're, if you're able to recruit you know more highly skilled players. Well, they felt they could, so they left and the following year. But anyway, back to '98, they were like the team to beat. And so it was like, I think it was one to one or was it two to two? I can't remember which. Anyway, it was a tie game. And right near the end of the game, we get a penalty. And it's like, oh, no, I think it was Brad Coombe got a penalty and was in the box. So, the you know, they're, we're trying to kill off the penalty. And it was like nerve wracking. It's like, Oh my gosh, what's going to happen here. And matter of fact, it was, I think it was an overtime. It was overtime. He got the penalty and it was like, Oh no. Well, the face off, you know, again, trying to kill the penalty, the penalty and everything. Well, there's a, there's a whistle and the face off is in the Fairbanks zone. Right off the draw, uh, the puck is passed over to Derek from uh, Kellemeyer, Mike Kellemeyer to Derek Stum, who is literally straddling the goal line. But he's about like, oh, I'd say about a good 12 feet away from the goal. But he's, strat- he's even with the goal line. And to this day, I don't know how he did it. But he let go with the blistering wrist shot that went just underneath the crossbar and hit the top of the twine and dropped in. And we won the game. And the place just went bananas. And I say bananas, I mean bananas, because we took out the almighty Fairbanks Ice Dogs and uh, beat them. And that that was the, we everyone considered that like the it was a, uh, the quasi uh, uh, national championship game because they figured whoever won that game was going to win the national championship. And so it was the semifinal, and it was us. Anyway, uh, long story short, we get to the championship game and we're playing, I think it was Suffolk. We're playing the Suffolk Silver Shields. And uh, uh, that, so I was like, you know, phew, you know, all that money I spent for a radio broadcast was going to pay off because we were doing the national championship game on the radio. Like I say, back then we didn't, the internet wasn't like it is now where everything's easily available. We didn't, there was no availability back then. Right. So we, so we do the game. I'm doing the game, getting ready to do everything. I could, I couldn't get connected like uh, the way I had planned to. All this stuff I had, all my equipment and it wouldn't work for radio. 
So I'm like, oh, crap. So because I had been doing play-by-play for the videos that they were selling for the tournament. I had been doing all kinds of games uh, there during the tournament. Well, through the championship game, I was doing radio, and they hooked up their mic for the video uh, portion of it. And so, but my, I couldn't get any, anything to get to the radio station. Mike, I ended up having to take a fax machine, use the phone end of the fax machine, the phone handle, and plug that in and dialed to the, to the radio station via my home phone. Wow. So I had to third party it. And back then it cost me like 45 bucks, which in today's money, it'd probably be like about 110 bucks. But I, uh, I, I was like, I got to do this. So thankfully, thankfully, you know, you know, it's Pacific time zone. So back home, I was, uh, my dad was staying with me. I'd just come back from Texas. So he was, but he was in bed because he always went to bed early and it was, you know, at 10 o'clock back home. And it was seven o'clock, you know, out in Simi Valley. So I didn't have to worry about anything that way. So I just did it that way. I had to do the game like that. And I did the game on via the fax machine. So, you know, it's, I've done crazier things. Let's put it that way. So, so how but, for the game was it able to get it, get that hooked up to the fax machine? Like, I mean, how, how, how long until the puck drops at that point? Are you like, okay, fax machine, plug it in and go. Uh, pr- I probably got it all hooked up together and got everything simpatico with literally, uh, I think they had just finished. They were just getting ready to do the national anthem. That's so crazy. And you brokered yeah. with the, the, the people running the championship out there in Simi Valley in terms of getting the rights to do the game. Well, I let them know. I let them know ahead of time. I said, and they, there's no, and, from a radio standpoint, because it isn't uh, it isn't video, they they really don't because uh, Anchorage or uh, Fairbanks, Fairbanks had uh, a radio team out there doing their games live also, okay. but they had nicer equipment than I did. And after we beat them, uh, they left. They were not very happy, so I didn't I didn't ask to try to use their stuff. So, but I did. It, you know, it's funny because I did before we played them. I did loan them my headset because their play-by-play guy, his broke. He broke his headset. So I gave him mine to use. And uh, we were all great with that. But then, like I said, after we then we played them and then beat them, and they they left. But uh, anyhow, so, yeah, I did it via fax machine, and uh, it, it, it came out. It came out great. Um, I just had to remember because it was radio, terrestrial radio, at the top and bottom of every hour, I had to do the IDs, station IDs. So it was, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's funny how you catch that stuff. But, you know, I would just, I had some of the guys that weren't dressed for the championship game. I asked them to come up and stay there with me uh, while I did the game and stuff. They could watch from up there. And then during the intermissions, they could be my guests and we would talk. And of course, back then I had no idea what I was talking about. So all I did was I was like, tell me what the coach is probably saying right now, you know, and that, the other thing. And I would do stuff like that. And I had no clue what I was doing. And How old were you in uh, 98, like so you start, started the year before was your first year. So mm-hmm. how old were you in 96 when you started? 
I was 30, I think 33, 32 oh. or 33. So, so the year they, the year they won it and you were like 34, you were like my age. Now you're like 30, 34, 35. And yeah, right in there. Yeah. It's, well, it's 25 years. I'm 58. So, uh, yeah. 33. That's a trip, man. And yep. that was, and that was your second year broadcasting period. And you had this national championship experience. Yep. It's like, I couldn't, I just couldn't believe it. And, uh, so we, uh, we're doing the game and I was just, uh, Suffolk scores first. They score first and it's like, Oh boy, here we go again. So we had to come from behind, you know, again, in the intermission, some of the players told me later, they didn't panic. They didn't freak out. Um, a couple of the players were injured and couldn't play in the national championship game. I know uh, the captain, Hank Avink, couldn't play because he was injured, and that just killed him. But he knew, you know, he had to do what was best for the team. And so uh, a couple of the other players didn't, you know, numbers games and stuff. And we, again, you know, like I said, they were great to me, you know, by having the having the um, the, the, the kindness to talk to me during the intermissions and stuff. Uh, I, I just remember Mike Marchand, especially, he was really helpful to me uh, with that. Anyway, so we play, they go into the latter part of the game and we catch fire. And Mike Kellemeyer, who was hurting big time, really injured, uh, stay, he's like, screw this, I'm playing. And he ended up, uh, I think he ended up putting a goal in and help setting up the winner. We ended up winning, I think, like by two goals. Uh, I think it was four to two was the final. Four two four one something like that, and I just remember the sheer elation of when that final horn went, the, when that final buzzer went, just the sheer emotion and elation of because everyone knows what you go through from tryouts to you know saying hey we we are not going to use you as much as you think uh, you're you're fighting for playing time. You know, you're doing all these different things. And especially if you're a, a kid who's being billeted, you know, you're sleeping in someone else's house with someone else's bed. And, you know, you don't have your immediate family there with you. Uh, just, you know, it's all the little sacrifices that you don't think about uh, from day to day that these guys go through. And the injuries and, you know, a couple guys, you know, you might get traded. There's stuff like that. And it's, it's just, you know, you can only dress 20 guys, you know, and what about the guys that didn't get to dress, you know, and things like that. It's just, it's, you know, but the thing is that they were, I was like, I would say the guy, even the guys that didn't dress because of the numbers, they, even though they weren't in the lineup throughout the season, they were part of the reason that we got to where we got. So it helped tremendously with getting uh, us there. And so they're just as much a part of that championship game as anyone else, you know? And so when that final buzzer went, people were going ballistic. Well, in a good way. I don't mean mean in a good way. They were just, they were crying, jumping up and down, going crazy. Uh, Watch them all get uh, an award or their medals, their gold medals. 
And then they took the cup and skated around with it. And then they took it into the locker room. And I stayed up in my booth. I, uh, they won the game probably it was about 1235, 12, no, about 1240 maybe uh, in the morning here in Toledo. And I said, you know what? Screw it. So I, t- I said right over the air to my board op back at, at the station. I just said, we're going to keep this going till the top of the hour and then we'll shut her down. And so we did. And uh, I uh, was talking about, you know, the, all the different guys that got awarded their medals and stuff and the guys, and I made, I made a point of making sure that I talked about the guys who didn't get to dress and uh, were part of the team that were out there still. And they got their gold medals and talk about them to make sure that they weren't forgotten. You know, uh, you know, I mean, guys like Gary Thomas, who's played the whole season there. And then at the end, he didn't get to dress and he was a veteran. Um, you know, the newer guys like Josh Terja, he was the third goaltender and stuff. And they just, uh, you know, all these kids that like they knew they knew their role wasn't going to be an ideal role, but they stuck it out anyway. And so they, you know, they put in the, the work effort. They put all that stuff in. and it was so incredible to see. And yeah, and so it's not easy for the coaches to make that decision either. I think people don't realize too, with a sport, like you said, a sport like hockey, you know, when you don't get to, when you don't get to dress, I mean, it's, I'm sure that's a tough call for the coaches too. You know, I mean, by the end of the year, you kind of know which guys you need to, you know, what your strong lines are. Right. But I'm sure that's a tough call at the end of the day to decide, okay, who, who is actually going to be out there and who, who isn't, you know what I mean? So it's not easy yeah. for the coach, you know? No, I understand completely. And just to wind this up, uh, just to give you an idea of what, uh, how things could be bittersweet, but there's always more to the story. Um, all the guys got championship rings. All the organization got championship rings. Yours truly was the only one that didn't get a championship ring. Because I was technically not an official member of the organization of the entourage. So I didn't get a ring. But I thought, well, I have all the memories in the world. And no one can take that from me. I got to call the game. And there's the they got the videotape of the broadcast and the game itself with my audio on there, uh, doing it on the radio. And it's on the on the uh, I'm old, so videotapes. Uh, but uh, anyhow, I've, I said I've got that, and I'm okay with that, you know. And we were talk. We some of the guys got we got together on Zoom and we're talking uh, a couple of years ago about having a reunion. And so we said, you know, for, for, well, how about for the 25th? And so we we had gotten together a couple of times previous, but. They said, well, how about for the 25th? And I'm like, okay. And I was doing a podcast with uh, Hank Avink. And like I said, he, he, he's, uh, uh, he's doing great, killing it in real estate and everything. Well, uh, we were talking and we talked about a lot of different things, you know, a lot of deep stuff and everything. And we're, you know, we've, uh, like I said, that, that group, it will always be like, I really feel like a, I, I've, I've always felt close to all the teams I've been part of, but that team was special, not just because of the championship, 
but because of the fact that they included me in that, they considered me their brother, they considered me a teammate, you know, and I, I can't put a price on what that meant to me. So that will always, they will always be very special to me. And now again, that's taking nothing away from the other teams that, uh, I mean, I've got other teams that I've enjoyed that were equally as much a favorite as those guys. Not, not, you know, it's like trying to pick your favorite kid. You love them for different reasons, but they're, you love them equally, but you love them for different reasons. Well, this past, uh, I think September, when the season started, it was the 25th anniversary year uh, this season of the national championship. So we had an alumni night to start the season. They brought back not just a bunch of the alumni from the championship team, but from different eras. I mean, I saw, you know, my Fort Wayne kids, uh, a couple of them are, you know, I still keep in touch with to this day. You know, uh, just uh, different groups, different guys. We had, I just, I cried. I literally cried because a couple of my old coaches came back. You know, Kenny Miller's the bench boss now and he's the GM and everything. But like Scott Searing came back. Todd Omi was still the associate coach for this year's team. So he was there. Um, You know, the only one missing was uh, Bob Zion, God rest his soul. But uh, from then, but uh, Ian Duncan came back. Uh, just, uh, I mean, I, when I saw him, I lost it. I just started bawling because it was like, it meant so much to me to see these guys. And, uh, it just really choked me up. And, uh, a couple of guys, uh, Nick Nappy, who played about like six, seven years ago, uh, he flew in from Florida on his own dime, flew in just, he wanted to see me and he wanted to see, you know, be here for the alumni. And, uh, and so we're all out on the ice and, you know, even the original owners, uh, you know, Chris Renniger and rep, uh, Chuck LeMay, who became an owner later in the, in the history, he became an owner with Chris and, uh, he came out for the game and the Osterhouse came out for this game. And when I say it was amazing, it was, I can't even begin to describe the words. Well, I didn't really put a big deal into it until Hank Avink is out on the ice and he walks over to me and there's this big box in his hand and he hands it to me. And I open it up and it's a championship ring. I I lost it again. <laughs> I put my, I, I'm like almost sobbing at this point. And I put this uh, ring on my finger and all these kids, all these players, alumni are all looking over my shoulder and they're looking at it and they're looking at me. And uh, what do you call them? I'm just losing it. And so I hug everybody from the championship team came up and gave me a hug because what happened was they all chipped in. They all chipped in to buy me a ring. And if there was, if that wasn't a brotherhood before, this absolutely solidified the living daylights out of it. It it was uh, like one of those just like sweet moments where, you know, and they did my ring up big. They didn't do the, like theirs is small. They look almost like high school rings from back in the day. But, you know, again, it's, 
it's what the ring represents that's most important. But they did mine up big, gaudy, crazy with uh, uh, diamonds around the outside of it. And I mean, just the logo in the middle. I mean, I, I, I couldn't, I just, it just blew my mind. And then, and then, and then, so Avink tells me, he goes, I told you about this when we did the podcast. And I said, Hank, I honestly, I completely forgot. I don't even remember. (laughs) I go, I know you probably did, but I don't remember you telling me that. I go, you know, and I, I told him, you know, I go a million things on my mind. So I couldn't, you know, I didn't remember that. And so that's why it me it's still special to me and always will be. And the way that we did it tonight. And so we, uh, <clears throat> we, you know, like, again, uh, I was walking around that whole night trying to talk because, you know, they kind of all fraction off into the groups that they knew the players they played with, you know, the right. different eras. Well, I tried to go to all of them, make sure I spent time with all of them to let them know that they were, uh, you know, that I really appreciated them coming out for the alumni night. But I mean, everyone kept wanting to see my ring, take pictures with it, the whole nine yards. And it was ridiculously great. And I, I, all I kept thinking of, man, I, I just, I, I said, there's no words to put into, you know, to put there that describe how, uh, how much it meant to me and how much that team meant to me. They just did uh, amazing things. And these guys, uh, and, and the thing, the, the funny part is, is that 25 years ago, these guys won a national championship and they had a big party at the hotel, but I didn't know what hotel they were staying at because I stayed with my buddy from high school. So I was in Burbank and they were in Simi Valley. So what I ended up doing, I, did, I never found out what hotel they were at. So um, I go to, I end up uh, as they're, uh, coming out of the locker room i gave the veterans i gave a bunch of the veterans cigars i won't say what country they came from because back then it was considered contraband anyway (laughs) uh so and to this day Derek stum still has his uh anyhow uh so i gave them i gave them that because i had you got to remember it was pre 9-11 so everything was much more lax right right uh, so you know you could take things with you and they didn't give you too much of a hassle. Well, and, and, and it was funny because while I was there, uh, of course they had just enforced the no smoking in public in, uh, in bars in California. And so we went to the house of blues while I was there and I'm over there watching government mule play and who walks up next to me, Jim Belushi. And so he's got a cigar going you know, cause he's Jim Belushi. So he doesn't have to worry about it. So yeah. I asked him what kind of a cigar he had. And he told me what it was. It was Arturo Fuente or something. And I gave him one of my, uh, Fidel's I'll say anyway, uh, gave me, uh, I gave him one of mine. And so he's like, Oh, wow. Man. And so we started talking and of course he's like, well, yeah, it's great meeting you and all that stuff. And I'm like, no big deal. I didn't, you know, like try to, you know, do the, give me your autograph or whatever. Just, you know, I just, He's a guy just like me. So just let him go. I'm sorry. What was that? I was just saying, I was just saying, uh, yeah, you, you were just trying to be cool and not be a fanboy. Yeah. So we, uh, so I watched, I'm watching government, you know, all that stuff. Well, 
after the championship game, like I said, they all went to the hotel. Department. I never didn't ask them where the hotel was because I thought I knew where it was, but I was wrong. I know that's a familiar story. Anyway, so I go over to, I go with my buddy back towards Burbank and he goes, we got to go celebrate. He goes, I know a bar we can go to. And I said, okay. So there's this little bar and it's a live jam session night. So I'm like, okay, cool. You know, I'll go have a cup. You know, my buddy didn't drink. So I was like, all right, cool. You know, I'll go have a few drinks to celebrate. And I did. And of course you walk in there and it's nothing but one big cloud of smoke. And uh, so we walk in there and I'm watching the band jam. And uh, my buddy introduced me to a guitar player that he really liked. And I uh, liked a lot. And uh, he was a, a Asian guy, but he was a blues guy. And he, he, he took, his stage name was B.B. Chung King. And uh, anyway, he, was, he put out a few albums out in California. They were really good. Anyhow, so um, I, I went and saw him play at a club prior to the championship game and all that. Well, he was jamming with this band uh, that night on that night that we won the championship. So I go in there and I'm like on cloud nine, you know. And the, the guys are jamming and I'm like looking up and I'm like, wait, I think I know that guy. And I think I know that guy. Yeah. In addition to BB Chung King, there was a keyboard player who I didn't know, but he was hosting the thing. But the, I think the bass player was from Ziggy Marley's band. Uh, The rhythm guitar player was from Amy Grant's band. And the drummer was Matt Sorm from Guns N' Roses. Wow. It was just a a really eclectic mix. And so they were like uh, celebrating the fact that I, you know, we won the national championship and I was out there celebrating and everything. And I don't even know what time we got back home. If I think it may have been daylight. I have no idea, no recollection, but um, yeah. So we flew back home and I've, I, it was a strange flight I had. Like I told you about the going there. Well, coming back, it was fine, but I was nervous. Well, I fly out of L.A. and go straight from L.A. to Cleveland, not to Detroit. I had to go. The only way I could do is go to Cleveland and then a layover in Cleveland before I took the flight from Cleveland to Detroit, the connection. I was so like whacked out because of what happened on the way there with the flying that when I got to Cleveland, I rented a car, drove like. I think 90 miles an hour to uh, Toledo so that my uh, family wouldn't come pick me up in Detroit. I got there. I got home 20 minutes before my sister was going to get in the car and leave to go drive up to Detroit to pick me up from there. Jeez. Yeah. So, I mean, it was funny, but yeah, that was the championship year 25 years later. It, I can't tell you how sweet it is. Yeah, I'm glad. Uh, I'm I'm glad you shared all that, man. Because yeah, I, I was thinking about it, and I'm like, I I know Mick probably, um, and I and I'll probably say something in the jump about it, so I won't repeat myself too much. But Mick was the guy who got me into broadcasting. For everybody listening, man, I I love the dude like a like an older brother. Like him and Mike uh, are like older brothers, man. We got along most of the time. You know, and every now and again, you have your differences like a family does, you know, yep. but Little Sports Network, though, we always looked out for each other and 
you know, I, I wouldn't be doing this podcast if it weren't for you, man. And those, those aren't empty calories. It's the truth. You, you are the guy that, you know, first met with me at Toledo hospital when Tom Bedell told, told you about me and, and like a lot of things in life, I hesitate at first and I didn't join you guys at first. And then I did a couple of, couple of written game stories for the Fremont news messengers. Shout out Vince Guerrero. He, uh, gave me my shot there, but I was just like, I just, uh, I was just like, man, you know, I think I need to try this broadcasting thing. Cause it's, it was, it was, uh, it was, uh, a lot of work. You know, I, I wasn't, uh, I was young. I wasn't super prepared. I, you know, when you're doing those game stories, man, like I was spoiled when I was covering games at the university of Toledo, you got somebody doing stats for you people bringing around stats every quarter. Yep. And when you do those high school football games, man, there's not a dedicated media session. There's nothing like you're in the little press box, you're doing the stat book, you're writing the story. And then you got to get that bad boy submitted by like 10 o'clock, uh, 10, 15 at the latest. Cause they got to put it to the print press. And, and I was just like, you know what, maybe, maybe I should try this broadcasting thing just to see. Cause as much as I enjoyed writing, I was like, you know, maybe there's something here with this. And, um, you, you and Mike gave me my shot and, and the rest is history, man. But I wouldn't be doing this podcast if not for you. And that was way back in 2010. It's crazy how fast time flies because I'm like, God, that was 13 years ago. And 13 years from now, I'm going to be friggin' 48, which is just a total, just a total, just mind explosion. But uh, hey, but just yeah. look at it this way. Be me. For <laughs> at age 48, that was 10 years ago for me. So to give yeah. you any idea but now as far as as far as the other part of it though michael i will say this you got the opportunity from us you took that opportunity and you made it your own and you ran with it because it you can you can uh say you know you know that we did this and we did and i appreciate that but we just gave you the opportunity it was up to you to make it work and you did and you not only made it work you flourished you flourished and yeah. uh i can't say enough good things yeah, I appreciate it, brother. I still remember the first game I did with you at Otsego High School, which is so weird now when I look back, like all these like synchronicities in life, whether you want to call it God or the universe or whatever. But I remember being nervous driving out to Otsego, and I didn't even know till years later that that's where my grandma Bauman um, went to high school and she grew up out there. So it's kind of, I guess, kind of surreal in some ways, but. I remember being a little nervous. I got through the stand-up at the beginning with you. You were doing play-by-play, and I was doing color, and it was Otsego and Anthony Wayne. Um, and I actually wrote about this recently uh, last year when the Nashville Voyager uh, was kind enough to to feature me uh, um, in their like local local story section. But um, but I remember that was the first time I had ever done anything broadcasting as far as a game. The only other thing I had done was a sports show with you guys. Um, I think it like blue Pacific grill or something in, in outside of Toledo. But uh, there was, there was a moment going into the end of the first half and you guys always called me bomber and you're just like, bomber, what would you do here? And I still remember the kid's name. There were twins on on the Otsego Knights, uh, the Fremantle brothers. And and the one kid was like a good kind of like scat back, good in open space. And I just said, well, Mick, you know, I, I think, you know, in this situation, I'd maybe try to get the ball to Fremantle in the flat, see if he can do something, you know, get him in space. And maybe they can get into field goal range or get some points on the boards bef- on the board before the half. And the next play... It was like a, it was like 
it was like the hand of God coming down on me to like not make me nervous and be like, you know, keep doing this, dude. It was like and you drew it up. Next play, they they threw it to that kid. They it was like a little screen pass, little pop pass, and he took it to the house. And I I still remember like the excitement in your voice when it happened because I think you were you kind of like couldn't believe it. Like you're like, oh my god, they give it to Fremantle. He's 20, 30, uh, uh, touchdown. And I just remember at halftime, like we were all kind of talking and it, and I just felt like kind of lifted in that moment. Cause I was, I was really nervous. I was, I've just struggled with panic attacks my whole life and, you know, just beat myself up over dumb stuff. And, and that was kind of like a moment where I don't say that story to like toot my own horn. I say it to say like, sometimes you just get signs, like I said, from God, the universe, whatever of like, this is what you're supposed to do. And to like, bring it back to you. Like, I just, I love you, man, like a brother. And, and I'm happy that things came full circle with you too, with the Cherokee, you know, the fact that, like you said, your brotherhood, it was already a brotherhood, but it was really solidified on that alumni night. And they gave you that ring. Um, I, I think that's really cool, man. You know, cause that's what it's all about. It's about the connections. And I think, you know, for people who aren't fans of sports, I, I think they don't understand the, the kinship involved in it. You know, whether you're a player or you're a member of an organization of any kind, like you go through the highs and the lows of it together so when you reach a championship level, and I've I've been on a couple of teams that have won, you know, some tournaments and championships and stuff like that, but nothing on like a national level like that. So I can't even imagine what that's like to get all the way, like you're the best in the country. That's a whole other thing, you know, and I just think it's really mm -hmm. cool that after all these years, you guys still have that connection uh, for people who want to check it out too. You did the Cherokee Rewind podcast where you went down memory lane of basically top to bottom, everybody in the organization over the years. Um, and people can check out that, but, uh, but yeah, man, it was great to get you on here and, you know, go down memory lane for 97, 98. Cause it was an, an awesome year. And, and I thought it would be cool with the 25 year anniversary to get you on here to talk about that, especially the fact that it happened the second year in your broadcasting career. You know, you think about announcers that go through their whole career with the team, maybe, and, and never get to see a champion. And the fact that, you got to see that in your second year is pretty special. Well, the thing is, is that I got to see it in the first year. I got on the losing end of it and it was in the hometown. So yeah, what yeah. the thing is, the thing is, is that I, for a while, I was like, we, we, we're, we're supposed to go to nationals every year, man. What, what? And it's like, no. And to give you the idea how hard it is, I've been to, we've been, I've uh, been a part of the national championship game uh, with the Cherokee, I believe, four different times, four or five different times. And the 97, 98 team is the only team that won. So that tells you how hard it is. Yeah, it's crazy, man. It's a heck of a feat. And um, yeah, I just, like I said, I think it's cool that everything over these last few years has really come full circle as far as the press box being named after you. Um, it's well-deserved. The SAP award. That still is mind blowing to me. I, I can't even wrap my head around that. And I, it's like I've gone back and have done a couple of games as a favor to help them out when they needed uh, someone to pinch it. And I go in there and I look up at that box and I'm like, I I, I don't cringe, but I'm like, I, I'm like you. I'm like, eh, I don't know, man. I, I I don't. It's like you almost feel like you're not worthy of that. It's like, what did I? All I did was, you know, highlight what these kids talk about, what these guys were doing. That's all I did. I wasn't, I didn't do anything special. 
But then as someone told me, they're like, no, Mick, you don't understand. We were, we considered ourselves nobodies, but you made us feel like somebody's. That's what you did. And it's like, I'm like, I, well, that's because you guys are somebody's. And he's like, yeah, but sometimes you need, we, people need help being told that we're somebody's. And that was what you did. And I just said, you know what? Hey, it's just my love of the game, my love for my teammates, you know, and that's, that's all it was. And, but it was, it, that's what it meant to them. You know, I can't worry about what it, you know, I know what it meant to me. I, I knew that. And, you know, that's up to me, but what it meant to them, uh, to me, that's probably more important. The fact that they, uh, they loved it and that they, you know, it, I did, I did what I had to, but I also did what, you know, uh, put the spotlight on them, not me. And uh, th that was their way of simply thanking me. And so that's why, I, like I said, I still have a hard time with it, but I'm getting better with it. No, I feel you, man. That's something I struggle with, too, is accepting praise and adulation. Um, believe it or not, as, as much as I tried to get you guys to laugh over the years with Toledo Sports Network and, uh, you know, showing up, the, you know, 10 minutes before the, <laughs> the radio show started. Um, I'm worse uh, than you. I am worse I, than you. I literally, Jamal always makes fun of me. He says, you always show up at like 7.58 for an 8 o'clock show. And I'm like, oh, what am I going to do prior to that? I go, you know what goes where. I don't. He's like, well, yeah. you need to be here early. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. And we yeah, sit there and we yell at each other. And it's like, but that's what makes it work. Yeah, I had to, I had to learn it all, man. I, I had to get my own little mixing board and, you know, set set this up. And it's it's pretty easy for, for a dummy like me with this stuff. But um, But yeah, man, it's like, you know, it's there's a difference between, you know, confidence and cockiness and there's a difference between acceptance and, and arrogance. You know what I mean? And I've learned over the years to, to accept praise and stuff better, but as much as I like to joke around and stuff, I, I really don't like being the center of attention and, and broadcasting with you guys really kind of opened up an aspect of, of, of me as a human that I, I didn't know I had. And it, it gave me a confidence in myself. I mean, even like moving to Nashville eight years ago and stuff. I mean, it was tough because I, I was going to miss you guys and I do miss you guys, but I was like, you know, I, I felt like it was something I needed to do at the time for myself to grow as a person and grow as a man. And, um, but at the end of the day, man, you, you deserve all your flowers, Mick. I, I think one of the greatest gifts we can, we can give people in this life is just letting know, letting the people around us know that we care. You know yep. what I mean? That's the greatest Amen. behind is just letting people know you, you care and you give a damn. And those guys at the end of the day, you know, uh, hockey players, guys who love the game that much that they're, you know, moving across the country and, you know, you know, working and going to school and doing all that stuff um, and not getting paid um, and getting their teeth knocked out and their head smashed into the glass and stuff. But, you know, you, you really got to love it. So for you to show up and do all those games and really and really, really care you know, people don't forget that, you know, and, and there's that old quote, you know, people, people forget what you did. They'll forget what you said, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. And that's something that, that I always try to try to live by, man. It's just trying to be good to people. So um, you've been good to me, man. Uh, I, I truly love you like an older brother. 
And uh, it's it was fun to get you back on here to talk about the 25 year anniversary, man. When, by the way, just to put a button on it, when was do you remember when the actual because I like we talked about this year, the championships were at the end of March. But what time of the year was it back then? Was it springtime, too? Yeah, it was March. It was in March. March. Okay. Well, cool. Well, I didn't get you too far. I mean, granted, people will be listening to this in May when this comes out, but I didn't get you too far from the actual uh, month anniversary. But, but yeah, man, um, it's been it's been fun listening to uh, the Cherokee podcast. I actually listened to uh, listen to one today. You know, for with uh, Omi when you had him on for episode 100. Oh yeah, yeah, that was yep. that was a fun listen going down memory lane too. But uh, but yeah, dude, it's um. We need to keep in touch too, even if it's even if it's not for the podcast, man. It's exactly, that. exactly. I agree. I keep wanting you to come on the show. Come back, you know. We can uh, clean feed you in. So, you know, anytime you want to do that, I gotta do. I still feel bad. Like the first year that I lived here, it was like seven years ago, and I overslept. I was supposed to do the show on Super Bowl Sunday, so I apologize. So I gotta I gotta make up for that because I I'm an hour behind down here. And I overslept and I was supposed to come on. I think it was the year the Broncos played the Panthers. And I was like, oh God, I hope Mick doesn't think he I blew him off. I literally like overslept. But uh, but yeah, man, no, I'm down to come on the show anytime, dude. All right, awesome. Well, hey man, it was great talking to you. Love you, bud. I love you too, man. Have a good night. Yes, thanks. It. Take care. And thanks everyone for tuning in. <laughs>
you know, always had kind words for me in the beginning. And, uh, and, uh, I really cherish those, those years, man, when I was working with Mick at Toledo Sports Network and, uh, was a young, green, very naive, uh, had a lot to learn behind the mic podcast or broadcaster rather. And those years were really formative years for me. And it's, it's crazy to think of them now at 35 in the distance that they, that they are. You know, um, time is just such a wild thing. Like I, I think about that a lot because we're going on, like I said, at the jump, almost 13 years from when Mick and I met in the cafeteria at Toledo Hospital in the summer of 2010. And I was 22 years old, man. And like 13 years from now, I'm going to be 48. It's just so gnarly. It's, it's really a trip. But, uh, for, for Mick to be the first guy that, that helped open the door for me for for broadcasting man um i'm never gonna forget that man so mick i love you and uh, i'm praying for you and i'm rooting for you man hang tough hang in there and uh we need to catch up more brother but um you know it's it's um shows like this just remind me of of how fortunate i am to have the life that i have and, and that i've you know had god you know place people in my life um, at, at certain times, you know, and, and, you know, you meet people who, who really help you become who you're supposed to become. And, uh, I, I've always kind of said that I'm an extroverted introvert and those years working at Toledo Sports Network with Mick and Mike and the gang over at Toledo Sports Network, there's so many names, man. I love them all. They really helped me, like I said, come out of my shell and, and, and help me with my confidence, uh, for better or for worse, you know, people saw a lot more of me uh, after I started working with those guys, man. And and now I'm doing this podcast, and um, it just, uh, yeah, man, those were those were fun memories driving to those games, uh, and and getting ready to get behind the mic, whether it was with Mick or Steve or Mike Jameson or you know all the all the people working the cameras and everything and helping Mike set up and tear down which I was always terrible about with the radio show, man. I'd show up like five minutes before with my headphones <laughs> and Mike would do a mic check. In retrospect now, I should have been there when he got there, you know, super early. You know, we would do games on Friday nights. The game would get over at like 9, 30, 10 o'clock. Uh, Mike would go home and edit and then we would turn around on Saturday mornings and we'd have a radio show at like 7 o'clock in the morning. Uh, so... As a young pup, man, I was uh, rolling in, you know, pretty much right before launch, you know, and sometimes I look back and go, man, I should have learned more about how to set all that stuff up. But, uh, but yeah, man, it's just a lot of good memories. And I think that conversation, I, I hope, is illuminating to everybody about just taking chances and taking opportunities. You know, uh, Mick grew up watching sports, huge hockey fan. And he eventually found his way behind a microphone. And not only did he find his way behind a microphone, but he found a home with the Toledo Cherokee. And that mutual respect that he has for them and they have for him, it's lasted decades now. The memories they've created together. And, uh, you know, not only from that championship team, that national championship team in 98, but all the years since. Um, and, and again, to see it all come full circle with Mick doing the Cherokee Rewind podcast, getting the Sap the Sap Memorial Award a couple of years ago, 
having the press box named after him where the Toledo Cherokee play. Like I, I just hope it just shows everybody like, you know, when you treat people the right way and you pursue your passions, there's a lot of beautiful things that can happen. And if you're genuine about what you do and who you are, I mean, we're all growing and we're all developing and we're all learning as people, you know, nobody is complete and anybody who tells you they're complete is full of it because, uh, I don't care if you're 35, 45, 55 or 85, man, like there's always something new to learn every day. And I don't think that that's me being naive at 35. I've lived a lot enough life now and, and I've had my fair share of ups and downs to know that we're always growing and evolving. But, you know, I just, uh, I really think that that conversation just exemplifies like the power of the human spirit. You know, like I said, Mick has battled some health issues over the last few years, but he's hanging tough and, uh, the relationships that he's developed will carry on long, long after him, long after the Toledo Cherokee, man, like, you know, the spiritual connection that we have with each other is really important, man. And, um, I just think it's a really cool and beautiful thing that he was honored by those guys with the championship ring. And uh, he sent me some cool pictures that you guys will see on my socials. So not so shameless plug at March 4th pod on Instagram. You'll see that picture with the championship ring that Mick got from the guys uh, for, for being part of that team. Um, It's just really cool. It's really special. And um, I'm I'm lucky to know him. And I really mean that, you know, Um, like I said, I will always hold those years in my early and mid twenties, um, near and dear to my heart, man, when I was cutting my teeth and broadcasting and to, to have it come full circle now and have me still be involved in it by doing this podcast and to be able to reach the people that I've been able to reach. Um, it's really cool, man. So thank you to Mick. Thank you to everybody who's listened. If you check out the links in the podcast description, I'm going to have some links to, uh, some articles, you know, one of which is about Mick uh, being honored by the team with the SAP Memorial Award. Um, so scroll down to the bottom of the podcast description so you guys can check that out and learn more about the Cherokee, learn more about Mick, even beyond this conversation, man. But Mick, I love you, dude. Thank you so much for doing this. And I love all of you. And I mean that, man. I'm not short on my thank yous and love yous. I was raised to be like that. And I am truly appreciative and grateful, like I've said numerous times, for everybody who takes the time to listen to this podcast who tells a friend to tell a friend, likes and subscribes, leaves a rating on either Apple or Spotify, you know, on Apple, you can leave, you know, uh, a written review as well. Like all those things go a long way in helping the show get to more people and it's cool to see it continue to grow. So I thought it would be cool to switch it up in honor of my buddy, uh, who I hadn't talked to in a minute with the 25 year anniversary and, and switch it up from a musical guest this week and, uh, and get Mick on here. So Mick, I love you, man. Keep hanging tough. And I love all of you. Keep the faith and be kind to one another. I will see you guys on the next one.